Hey everybody, how you doing? Man, I, I love Lindsay. She's like a little sister. Uh, she is just so sweet. Uh, love Pastor Mark, love Michelle, love what God's doing here, Gabby and the staff and the leaders. Can we give it up for all the leaders who lead here every week? Man, there's a team of people who show up early and put these tables out and make everything happen to make sure that we're ready for tonight and we lead into uh, exchange. Uh, I'm excited to be here and be able to share with you guys because we're in this series about Revelation. And if you've been following along, specifically we've been talking about the seven churches that are mentioned in Revelation. Because if you want a quick summary of Revelation, basically the first couple chapters is John seeing a vision. The next couple chapters is the seven churches that, uh, uh, that, that Jesus writes letters to. And then after the seven churches, essentially it's the second coming of Christ or it's when, when, the, when the rapture happens. And then there's all the tribulation that happens and all the trouble and all the issues. And if you've ever read Revelation, you're like, what is going on? The good news is, if you are a Christ follower, you don't have to worry about that because most likely you're not going to be here for that. So there's actually good news to all that. But the seven churches we do pay attention to because what most scholars believe is that for each of the churches that Jesus wrote a letter to, it actually signifies a time when the church was existing. And if you actually read through all the different seven letters of Revelation, it, it really is a church age. And the church we're going to talk about tonight that Jesus writes a letter to is the church of Laodicea. Everybody say Laodicea. Laodicea. Which, which most scholars believe that we are currently in the age of Laodicea. Most scholars believe that the church age we're in right now is the last church age that Jesus writes a letter to. What that means for you and I is that for us, we pay attention to this letter. Because it's not just something Jesus just wrote kind of out into no one, he actually wrote it to you and I. If you're a Christ follower, if you're in the body of Christ, if you consider yourself a Christian, then we pay attention to this because Jesus wrote it, yes, to the church of Laodicea, but he wrote to the church age of Laodicea, and we are in the age of Laodicea, and he wrote it to us. And the reason why he wrote it to us is that hopefully for us, we will hear what his words are and hear what he says in this letter, and hopefully it wakes us up and it reignites a passion in us. Like, that's the hope for tonight. I want you to know the end goal is that by the end of tonight, that you would not just be coming to exchange and just, like, just here, but there would be something inside of you and a passion inside of you because I believe that God wants you to not just follow him, but he wants you to follow him passionately. He wants you to be excited about it. He actually wants you to run after him and decide that all other things in life, that even though we all try to work to get more and to have more, and we have all kinds of appetites, but we would allow all those things to fall aside and pursue Jesus. And that's why he writes this letter. I, I, uh, when I got into ministry, I was 21 years old when I was a part of a church plant. We moved from Fort Wayne, Indiana to Fort Myers, Florida. And, and at the time, I smoked cigarettes. Now, I started smoking cigarettes when I was 14 years old. Any other, like, young teenager that you started smoking cigarettes back then? I was 14 years old. My parents smoked. It was easy for me to swipe cigarettes. And I was full-on addicted. And I remember I moved to Florida, was a part of this church plant, 21 years old. And what we would do, here, I'll tell you what I did. In my car, I would hang up my shirt. So I would have, like, an extra shirt. I would hang up in the back seat. I would, in my car, I would have, like, Axe body spray, gum, mint, and I would roll the window down and I would smoke the cigarette out like this. Like, so I didn't, no one could actually like smell me. 
I would blow the cigarette out, I would take the mints, I would spray the axe spray, I would use the deodorant, I would put on the shirt, and I would walk into church and be like, I'm here. And I was one of the leaders, and I'm like, I feel called to be a pastor. And I remember I had a guy sit down with me, and he go, hey, you don't have to quit smoking. But if you don't quit smoking, it's going to hold you back. And I remember it woke me up. And three weeks later, I quit smoking. And we probably all had someone that sat down with us and looked us in the eye and said, hey, that behavior that you're doing, the way you're talking to them, the way you're treating her, the way you're joking about this, the way you're living your life, like you can't do that anymore. We probably all had someone sit down with us and it woke us up. And we had that moment and we decided to change. That's what Jesus is trying to do with this letter. He is trying to wake up the church and the church age of Laodicea to wake them up to what he wants them to do. So we're going to jump in. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 14. The verses will be on the screen if you don't have them. But he says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, these are the words of the amen. And anytime you hear that amen, this, it signifies a great truth. It signifies a passion. It signifies that, like, this is important. He says, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Then in verse 15, it says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot, but I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, when I've heard this verse before, it's been the idea that, that God is saying you are neither hot nor cold, and because you're not hot and you're not cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And the way I've heard it before is that Jesus would rather you be on fire for him or completely away from him, but standing in the middle doesn't work. Let me just clarify this. That's not what this book verse is saying. The verse is not saying ever, ever, ever that you need to be away with Jesus. Like, it's saying that when we are in the middle of hot and cold, the reason why this is important for this city is because in Laodicea, Laodicea sat in between, like it was on the, the major trade route, but it sat in between Colossae, and in Colossae, that they got their water from the, the, the rundown from the mountains. And it was all cold spring water. It was all fresh cold water. And then you had Heropolis. Heropolis was on the other side of Laodicea, and Heropolis had these hot springs that would actually, like, like it would come out of the water and it was hot. So you had Colossae that was cold, Heropolis that was hot, but Laodicea had no major water source. So you can actually go and research this, but they created aqu aqueducts from Colossae and from Heropolis to Laodicea. But by the time it got to Laodicea, it wasn't hot anymore, and it wasn't cold anymore. It was lukewarm. And, and they were known, like Laodicea was known for being extremely wealthy, like they had it all together. But the one thing I guess them was they didn't have a good water source. It was almost undrinkable. It was almost unusable. And Jesus is saying when he writes to this church in this city, he says, that is a representation of your faith. You're not hot. You're not cold. But you're lukewarm. Because if you were hot, you know what hot water is good for? Hot water is good for cleaning. Hot water is good for showers. Hot water, like you can actually use hot water. Cold water is refreshing. You can drink it. You can feel better. You can do a cold plunge. Anybody into cold plunging right now? Okay, get out of here. I'm doing that to expose you. It's stupid. But, but just, just kidding. I'm just kidding. But it's, it's, it's you, you, you have cold water. Like you have that. It's actually useful for something. But lukewarm water, it's almost, like, it's almost not useful for anything. It's, it's kind of actually brought this up as an illustration because, for me, it's, 
You, you know, you have hot coffee, right? Any hot coffee drinkers? I'm not exposing you. I know I tricked you right there, but I'm not exposing you. Hot coffee, I love coffee. Like, I could drink coffee all day long. Like, it's amazing. It's just one of my favorite things. And, but there's also, there, there's cold coffee. Anybody else cold brew, nitro cold brew? Huh? Who loves cold brew? Here, here, Jackson State. There you go. Ready? One, two. Are you a good catcher? One. No, you're not. Okay. You did it. Woo! I feel so good about that. Um, but nobody wants the lukewarm coffee. Nobody wants a coffee that I poured a couple hours ago that's just sitting there. Like, nobody likes that. Like, we can, woo, hot coffee, woo, cold coffee. Anybody want, like, the day-old coffee? Yeah, right. Nobody wants a day-old coffee. Like, nobody wants that. And, and, and what, what Jesus is saying is that, that hot, yes, is good. Cold, yes, is good. But I'm telling you, lukewarm, like, like it's almost useless. He says, I will spit you out of my mouth. There's actually a lot of belief that the water, by the time it got to Laodicea, in a large part, it would actually make you sick. Like when he says, I'll spit you out of my mouth, the better translation is vomit, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. They would actually, there, there are actually some studies that say, or some research that says that in Laodicea, they would use that water to make people sick. Like when you had a stomach bug, they would make you sick by drinking that water. And he's saying, that's how their faith got to them. And when we're not hot, and we're not cold, because it's not an issue of being on fire or not being on fire, it's the issue of usefulness. And I was thinking about this. I thought, what does being hot in our faith mean? And I thought about water, because water is good for cleansing. Water is good for cleaning. Water is good for showers and baths and cleaning clothes. And I thought within, the, within our faith and within the body of Christ and within the church, I think the cleansing work of God is what God does for someone who doesn't know him. It's a cleansing work that when someone who is broken and dirty and like we have our sin and we have our past and we have our shame and we, we come to God with all of that brokenness and hurt and that, 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 that just stuff that's on us and we come to him, that God does a redeeming, healthy, cleansing work that he does. And I believe that one of the greatest works in the body of, body of Christ is to go out to the people who are hurting and broken and sinful. They don't know Jesus and they don't know where he is and they're walking through life and they're trying to navigate life. But God didn't make us to navigate life with sin. And so when we have that sin on us and that shame on us and that guilt on us, yes, we can go out to the clubs and it seems like, oh, it's so much fun. But when we get alone, there's something that just weighs on us and we don't know what to do. And one of the acts of the church is to go to those people and say, hey, you don't have to live with that guilt and that shame and that sin and the everything that's on you, but there is a redeeming, cleansing work of Jesus. And, and the work of the body of Christ, the work of you as a Christian is to go and take the good news and the gospel and the message of Jesus to the people who are living in sin. Not because they're doing wrong, it's because when we live life with Jesus and he cleanses us from us, our unrighteousness. Jesus says he came to seek and to save the lost. First John says that if we confess our sin, he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. He cleanses us. There is nothing that can cleanse you of your sin like, like bringing it to him. It cleanses you. That's that When we're hot, we're a part of the cleansing work of God. But I thought, what is the cold work? And I thought of cold water. You know, it's refreshing. It's it builds up. And, and really for me, I, I think that's discipleship in the church. 
I, I think it's going to people and saying, hey, we need to help the people who already believe to not live lukewarm lives, but we need them to understand the depth and the, and the grace and the mercy of Jesus and help them actually be able to walk it out, not just pray a prayer, but to live every single day. And that's one of the reasons why we do groups here at Exchange is because we don't want you to just come and attend a night to be around people, but we want you to take your faith and take it deeper and let it affect you and mess with you and change you and grow you and continue so that you become a disciple and are a disciple believer of Jesus. And I think one of the greatest works of the church Yes, it's to evangelize and go to those who are lost, but it's also to those who are trying to follow after him. How do we make disciples and how do we go through this? And, and I would guess that for some of us, some of us, we get so excited about the hot evangelistic, let's go, let's go find the person who's going to give God one last shot. And I would say this, every single week when they, people walk into exchange, every single week when people walk into your campus, every single week when they walk in the door, there is someone who is giving God one last shot. And we better be ready, and we better be greeters, and we better be with the kids, and we better be serving, and we better make sure the church is ready because they're walking in the door and they're giving God one last shot. And for some of us, man, we are passionate about that. Like we, we are, like that, that, even just talking about that, we're like, we got to do it. We got to invite. We got to do it. And for some of us, it's, it's the discipling work. It's how do we help people understand who God is on a deeper level? How do we help them walk with their faith? How do we, how do we help them understand the Bible at a level they've never, ever, ever, ever seen before? And my guess is you lean one way or the other. You're either hot and you, the evangelism side is strong or you're, you're cold and the discipleship side is strong. And I would guess when you got saved, you know what that was. Like, do you remember when you first got saved? Do you remember when you first got saved and, like, you wanted to tell everybody? Like, you wanted to go and your family disagreed with you, but you didn't care because you got to tell them about Jesus? You remember how you just, you just shared your faith freely at work? You let everyone know what was going on? Remember when you first got saved and you read the word and you thought, oh, I'm going to explain this. Everyone has to know the word of God. Everyone has to understand who God is. Everyone needs to live their lives better. And I think when we first get saved, like there's this passion for evangelism or there's passion for discipleship. We're hot or we're cold. But over time, like for a lot of us, we end up in the middle. We end up lukewarm. And we, we, we hear people evangelize, and yes, it's moving, but we don't do anything. We hear about discipleship and groups and the way people are growing, but we don't do anything. And we don't really, we're not really moved by it. And we stop being moved, and we stop moving into action, and we stop doing anything about it. In, in, in Matthew 20, it says, therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. We are to reach the lost. We are to make disciples. We are to engage in the hot work of Jesus and the cold work of Jesus. And as his church in the age of Laodicea, we can't get to the middle. I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you three things that I, I feel like I've taken away from this letter to the church of Laodicea. And the first thing is this, is that God finds satisfaction in our passion. 
We find satisfaction in our passions. He's satisfied when you're passionate. He's satisfied when you're not just okay. He's satisfied when you're not lukewarm. He's satisfied when you actually are on fire for what he's doing. He's satisfied when you actually are evangelistic or when you're focused on discipleship. But some of us, that's just not us anymore. Some of us, we're just not there. And if we were to be honest and probably if we were alone having a conversation and we talked about it, some of us would say, Mike, I'm actually lukewarm. I, I, I wrote down a couple characteristics of lukewarm Christians. Lukewarm Christians, they acknowledge or they acquire knowledge, but they don't change. Like you come and you learn and you go to church and you come to exchange and amen. You don't change. Who you were a year from now is not different from who you are today. Like you're not changing. You're not letting it mess you up and affect you. You have words, but you don't have actions. You say you believe and you say you're following Jesus, but if if we were to follow you around on a weekend, it wouldn't make sense. You've allowed sin to overtake you. And sin messes with you, but you don't even let it mess with you anymore. You used to have a check in your spirit. Remember when you had a check in your spirit? You don't even have a check in your spirit anymore. You just do sin freely. It's a lukewarm Christian. You come up with phrases to justify sin, and I think this is the danger right now. I think this is a danger, and I don't want to say in your generation because it makes me sound old, but I'll say in your generation, I think the danger. The danger is everyone uses these clever phrases to, to justify sin. I'm just living my truth. I'm just doing what I feel. I just, you know, I just feel like God wants me to. I, I had lunch with a guy a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, and he's like, there's no way God would want me to stay in this marriage. I'm like, well, according to the Bible, he does want you to stay in the marriage. There's no way God wants, to be miser- wants me to be miserable. And I'm like, what story in the Bible are you reading where God's like, oh, I don't want anyone to be miserable? Have you read any story in the Bible? Okay, Jesus, our Savior, you know, the one that we follow, was crucified. He was killed. And if you're like, no, God doesn't want me to be unhappy, yeah, yeah tell, tell God, the one who, who, who allowed his son to go on a cross and be tortured and then killed, tell your son why, because you can't find a good Christian, you're going to go date a non-Christian because God wouldn't want me to be unhappy. Go tell God that there's no way he would want you to be unhappy when he clearly was not that concerned about saving his son from being tortured. Right? Like... Like, read the story, like, read the Bible, like, go through it. But we use these phrases, and the phrases sound really good. And we say them. And we justify ignoring the Bible. We justify ignoring God's word. We justify ignoring truth. And we have these phrases. (laughs) And the other thing that I feel like this generation, because social media, what social media has done, it has given you a voice, and you guys have a voice, and I hope you use it, but I hope you don't just use your voice. Because I think the danger of your generation is this, is that you're loud, but you're lukewarm. You're loud. You speak out politics and justice. And for some of us, you're loud about the injustice in the world, but you're quiet about the injustice down the street. You're loud about the things that need to change, and the pastors, and how could pastors be this way, and how could churches be this way, and you got a lot of opinions, but you don't have a lot of actions. You're loud, but you're lukewarm. And I think 
for your generation, I think that's going to be a, like, that's a challenge. Because I don't mind loudness. If you're loud with your words and your actions and your actions. I think there's a reason why Jesus wrote this letter to the age that we're in right now. Because it's so easy. It's so easy to be lukewarm, and it was so easy for the church in Laodicea to be lukewarm. And, and Jesus actually says this. He says, he kind of tells us how this happened. He says in verse 17, he says, You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. In other words, the reason why they're lukewarm is because they didn't need anything. They had everything they needed. They had the transportation. They had the clothes. In fact, their industry, Laodicea, it, it was like the richest part of their, like their whole area, their whole region. It was the richest part. Like they had everything they needed. But he says, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now, the reason why he says those things, wretched, pitiful, and poor, is because for Laodicea, they were materially rich. Like they were very rich in their community. But he says, you're blind, and the reason why he says you're blind is because in Laodicea, they discovered something called boric acid. And boric acid is used in eye salve, and so basically it became this medical hub around the world where people would travel from all around the world to Laodicea to get this eye salve, and they, said, they, they considered this eye salve to be the thing to help your eyesight get better. So if you had any eye problems, you would go to Laodicea, and you would spend money, and you would pay for this boric acid and this, this salve, and you put the salve on your eye, and it was supposed to heal your eyes. And, and they found all of, their, all of their comfort and their wealth and all of the comfort and the fact that they were, like they, they were medically, they felt they were superior to everyone else. And he says naked. In, in Laodicea, they had a special brand, special type of sheep that, that had black, uh, like shiny wool on it. So they sold all these specialty clothes that they had. And so Jesus says, you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked, because they thought they were rich. They thought they had an eye set. They thought they had everything they needed. And what Jesus is saying is, is the reason why you've been, you've kind of crossed over into this lukewarmness is because you put your trust in other things. And the second thing I want you to know about this letter is that material prosperity can lull us into spiritual poverty. Material prosperity can lull you into spiritual poverty. Material prosperity is so good. And, and I'll just say this. In America, we, we are, it, it doesn't matter what job. If you have a job in America, you, you are in the top 1% of people right now. It doesn't matter your age. Top 1%. You have AC. Most of us drove here in a car. Like, mo, like. The fact you have a car, the fact you live in AC, the fact that you ate a couple meals today, like you are in the top 1% of people in the world, like you have material prosperity, which means you don't need anything. And we don't need anything. It's so easy. Now, I remember my first car, um, I was in Indiana, and the car I drove, um, it didn't have heat. Now, that's not that big of a deal down here, but in Indiana, it's kind of a big deal because, because when you're in the winter and you get into a car and it doesn't have heat, um, all of the snow that's on your shoes just stays snow. It doesn't melt. It just stays snow. And so you, you end up like, it feels like a refrigerator you're in as you're driving down the road. And then if you've been in the cold, you know this, that when you breathe in the cold, what happens? Your breath, like, 
Like it, like it goes out kind of, well, that's condensation. When you are in a car and you breathe and the condensation goes out, it hits the windshield, but what does water do when it hits glass and it's below freezing in the car? It turns to ice. Have you ever scraped the inside of your windshield driving on the road before? It was terrible. So I'm scraping on the outside of the car, and I'm driving in the car, scraping on the windshield, tr- or, or inside of the windshield, trying to actually see through it. And I remember in those times, I was like, Lord, if I could just have a car with heat. Like, Jesus, one day, one day, Lord, I just, come on, give me a car with heat. And then I got a car with heat. And I'm like, oh, okay. The car with heat, but that car didn't have AC. And at that point, I moved down to Florida, and it was a Dodge Neon. didn't have AC. I, I would still say a car with no heat is worse than a car with no AC. I just want you to know it was terrible. But then I got AC. And that car, though, even though I had AC, that car was like, it was kind of a lemon. It would break down every once in a while. So I didn't know if it was going to break down. And then I got another car. And now I drive a Toyota Camry. It is not a cool car. It's not a cool car. But I don't have to worry about breaking down at all. I didn't worry about it driving here. I was okay. I'm at the point of my life, think about this, I can fill up the gas tank and I don't even have to think about it. Woo. And I used to pray about my car. But you know what I don't pray about anymore? I don't pray about my car. I don't think about my car. And that's what material prosperity does. Because when you have it all, for nothing. And if you think you have it all, you think you're good enough, you think you're smart enough, you don't feel like you have any needs. Material prosperity just kind of drags us into spiritual poverty. Have we let our material prosperity blind us from our spiritual poverty? And then in verse 18, it says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. And then he says, put your trust in me. He says, buy white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes. In other words, the salve that I give you is going to be better than the salve you have so that you can see. And those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. I would say this for us tonight. If listening to this message, you've realized, I think I'm lukewarm. Like, this is the moment to repent. This is the moment. Here's what repenting is. Repenting is you're moving in a direction, and you realize you're moving in the wrong direction, and it's making a 180 and going the other direction. And tonight's the night. If, you, if you've realized, I'm lukewarm, I'm not really, like, I'm not following God like I need to follow, and yes, I'm, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm showing up to certain things, but I'm not really passionate, and I'm not really passionate about the evangelistic side. I'm not really passionate about the discipleship side. I don't have a passion for either one. I'm not really involved. I'm not really serving. I'm not really living out my faith. Yes, I say I believe. I read my Bible occasionally. I come in and I kind of sing the songs. I kind of clap when we're supposed to clap. I'm kind of engaged, but honestly, I'm not living out my faith the way I know I need to live it out. He says, repent. Repent. He says, those I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. And here I am, and in this phrase, I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Here's the third thing, is that he stands at at the door and he is calling you to more. He stands at the door. I believe that for us that have realized that we are lukewarm, that Jesus does not stand at the door calling you to him in salvation. I believe that Jesus stands at the door, and he's knocking right now, and he's knocking at your heart going, hey, it's time to get back up. It's time to regain passion. It's time to be on fire for what he's doing. It's time to stop sitting in this lukewarm state but deciding that I'm going to get on fire again. I'm going to get on fire for what God wants to do and those who are lost and those who are broken and those who are stuck in their sin. It is time again for us to decide that we are no longer going to be passive about the people who are hurting and broken and the homeless people on the side of the road and the friends that we know that are not saved, that they need this. We just haven't talked to them about it, about our family who don't know who Jesus is, that we've kind of ignored them. We're not going to be okay with that anymore. We're going to decide that we're going to be passionate about letting them know about who Jesus is. And he says, I stand at the door knock, and I'm calling you to it. I'm calling you to disciple believers. I'm calling you to lead small groups. I'm calling you to work with kids. I'm calling you to sign up for kids ministry. Well, I don't really like kids. I don't think it matters if you like kids because we're supposed to disciple the next generation of believers. Get back in the kids ministry. Go serve with the kids. Go serve at United on Wednesday nights. They need you, and we don't know. It's not only they need you. We need to not be lukewarm. We need to be on fire. We need to to get to a place where we are so focused on evangelism and discipleship that that we are following after him saying we won't be lukewarm. But we are going to live lives of passion for him. We're going to live lives of passion. Because God wants you to live a life of passion. So come on, exchange. Are you ready? Are you ready not to be lukewarm anymore? Come on, everybody stand up. Stand up. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come down. And if you're in a place where you're ready again, you're ready to re-engage. You're you're ready to let that passion back in. I believe God wants to restore your passion tonight. I believe God wants to wake you up again. I believe that God wants to fill you up again. I believe that's going to happen. Our worship team is going to sing. And as they sing, the prayer team is going to come down front. I believe that that if you're at that place that you need to come down, you need to get prayed for, and God is going to restore your passion. He's going to fill you up. You're going to get a refilling of the Holy Spirit, and there's going to be a passion again inside of you. So come on, let's sing out. Let's sing out. Let's sing out as we do that. Come on, come on down, everybody. Come on down. If you're ready, if you're ready to get filled up again, come down. If you want God to fill you up right now, come on, just lift up your hands right now. Come on, Jesus, we... We thank you, God, that you're reinviting and reinvigorating and filling us up, Jesus. And right now, in Jesus' name, we pray for a refilling of your spirit. God, we pray that there would be a passion inside of us that as we leave here, God, tomorrow would be different than it was today. It would be more full of your passion, more full for what you're doing, God. God, we pray that you would you would launch us into ministry, launch these young adults into ministry, God, that they would go out making disciples. They would go out telling people about your word, Jesus. God, use us, use us. If you want God to use you, just lift up your hands right now and say, use me, Jesus. Use me, Jesus. God, we want to be used by you. 
We want you to do it again. Lord, the faith, that the point of our greatest passion, God, we want to be back to that point. 